Dear diary. Dear diary. Wow. Today was a really hard day. Dear diary, I find sometimes my life can be hard. Dear diary, it will pass and it will be okay. Dear diary, I feel like today is going to be. Shh. Dear Indigo Diaries. Dear diary, welcome, world, to the Indigo Diaries. First, let me introduce myself, as I always do. I'm Tasha Hickman, and I'm the host of this podcast called The Indigo Diaries. Thank you to everyone for coming and listening. If this is your first time, then I welcome you. And if you're returning, then welcome back. I welcome all you Indigos to the first series, The World Through Our Eyes. And today we have a brand new episode. But this is a very different kind of type of episode. When I first started this podcast, I thought that, you know, I would have guests every week and guests wanting to open up and speak and speak quite freely. And then when I did my first episode, I was so nervous, which I know I portrayed in the podcast, but I was very nervous. And I actually understand how a lot of people feel because when I when I released my episode, I was so nervous. I was shaking when it when I, you know, started sharing it on Facebook and things. And I was so nervous. And I was like, why am I so nervous? This is just a podcast about my life. And then I really started to really see it. And I listened back to my episode. And I was like, wow, I've literally just told the world, well, whoever listens, the world kind of my life story. And it's a really hard thing to kind of talk about. And I really start to see that with people. A few weeks ago, we had an anonymous guest from India. And I, I offer that because I feel like even if you're want to come on and you just don't want people to know kind of it's you having that anonymous thing it just allows people it allows more people to feel more confident and more comfortable with coming to speak and then I was approached by uh, someone that I'm actually very close to and she said to me that she didn't feel comfortable coming on even anonymous she didn't feel comfortable coming on and saying her name So we discussed how we could get her story out there because I think it's really important, not for only for her, but also for others to really be able to relate and understand and just get it. So that's what this episode is. So there's no guest actually here. It's just me. But this diary is from a very special person. And I'm going to be reading it. We had a discussion. We had our interview. and. She told me her story and she said to me that she wanted me to voice it. So that's what I'll be doing today. I think it's really powerful, empowering and powerful that people want to tell people their story, not only to release it for themselves, but for others. So here goes and I hope I do it justice. First, I just want to say though, in this episode, there will be topics that may be sensitive to some listeners such as suicide, depression, trauma, and self-harm. If you don't feel comfortable, I really understand. And just come again, just switch off and come again next episode. However, if you would like to carry on, which I hope you do, then listen to it little by little or try. And if it's too much, then turn it off. But I think it's really important to know that before you listen to kind of what sort of things we're going to be talking about.
So let's begin by me telling you a bit, a bit of background information about our guest. From this guest and confusions for listeners between what's me and what's the guest, I'm going to call our guest Z. So Z is a young woman. She was recently diagnosed with ADHD combined type after a lifetime of being in the shadow of shame and self-criticism. It was the light she needed to finally be herself and forgive herself for the 16-year-old she thought she owed her life to. So, I welcome you to this story. Let's begin. So, I firstly began by asking Z how she felt about talking to me. She said that she was very nervous and scared, and she was actually shaking when I asked her this. She said, this is the first time I'm ever really talking about this. It's the first time to really talk about it with anybody. There's only five people in the world that know this story. And they are people that are not in my family, that have come upon, come upon her life and made an imprint, which meant that she felt that she was confident enough and comfortable enough to tell her story too. So during this episode, I will be using I. And if I use I, then that means Z. So I asked her when she was diagnosed. She said, but this story really has begun a long time ago. And it seems to be affected me my whole life, ADHD. I didn't know the name and it seems to be something that really never seemed to go away even though I tried to. So I asked her where she'd like to start. She said she'd like to go back to her childhood. I had a good childhood. I lived with myself and my brother and I was the youngest. I had a big brother. I had a mum and dad, nice family, nice house, nice upbringing, comfortable. When I think about my family, I think of that word comfortable. And even though, yes, financially we were comfortable and I got to go to school and, you know, I had food and I had all the basic needs, doesn't mean that my life was comfortable. And a lot of people like to believe that just because you have comfortable things that your life is comfortable. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've never really wanted to tell my story before. I agreed. I said to her that that is a big thing that happens here, in society anyways. I think that it is something that really happens, you know, just because you have a good family, a good house, that it means that you, are, you have to be happy. But there's a lot more to it than under the surface. And she agreed. Just like that iceberg thing that goes around, for behavior, for ADHD, there's a lot more that happens that you can't see. And we laughed because it's just so true and it happens so often. And when people compare their lives to yours, it's like belittling kind of who you are. And she agreed. And then she carried on. But for me with my family, it was the words. The words that they used to say, you do this, you do that. And I know I hear that a lot, but it's so true. And the one that always got to me was you're too sensitive. 
How can you react like this? You're too sensitive. You're too annoying. You're too much. You're too dramatic. Why can't you just calm down? Calm down seemed to be a big trigger point for Z. She seemed to flare up when she heard it. I asked her, what do you mean by calm down? She said, I used to have a lot of anger. Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> she actually said it like that. Calm down. How can I calm down? I don't know how to calm down. I don't even know what's going on right now when you're in that, in that frame of mind. People think that that calm down is a way to actually make people calm down. And they don't realize what actually effect it can have. She said that her mum was very understanding. I really love my mum. She always kind of saw me. But in our family, we were never allowed to talk about emotions. Never. My brother was very closed. My dad was very closed. My mum was a bit more open, but behind closed doors. In the public, closed. My dad kind of ruled our house, but in a way that you didn't know he was ruling our house. He was the funny one, the one that always made everybody laugh. My mum was a bit more quiet, a bit more reserved. But, and you would go to your mum and you would ask her questions like, mum, can I do this? Can I do that? Ask your dad, ask your dad. And that's what it always was because secretly he ran the house. We just didn't know it at the time. Now I have no blame. I have no blame on who they are. And what happened back then? Because how are they supposed to know that comments like that would later affect me in my life? I will come back on to them talking about that later. So I asked her about school. What was school like? Because that seems to be a big thing with a lot of people with ADHD is their experience with the school. She said, academics were hard, especially maths. But the biggest thing was feeling invisible and like if you clicked your fingers and just left then no one would notice she carried on saying I felt that if I did just leave then no one would care who would care and I used to tell myself that I know that they were the voices but who'd care if you left so I followed the crowds and I ended up in groups of girls which I don't like groups, but I ended up in groups of girls where they used to bully people and make fun of people for being different. But if you were in the crowd, then they wouldn't do it to you. Now I know that that was not the correct thing to do. But back then, when you're in that frame of mind and struggling in every aspect of your life, you kind of just go with it. I always got told that I looked and acted like a boy. I was a big tomboy. And I, I started laughing because me, Tasha, is exactly the same. I was the biggest tomboy. And that's why I think me and Z get on so well. Anyway, Z carried on. I always got told and, that I acted like a boy. And people used to think sometimes that I was a boy. How can you be a girl? And people used to make, the, make fun of me. Oh, you know, you get that thing of you know, oh, especially when you start to get to high school, that thing of, oh, you've got short hair, so you must be, you know, you must be this, you must be that. Not just because you actually just prefer short hair. Then it got harder. 
high school came, makeup started and fitting in constant, the constant need to be who everybody else wanted really took a toll. And yeah, academics were hard, but I got through that. But it was this that was the biggest impact. I could never stick with the same friends because when they got too close or they kind of started to see who I was, I backed off. The guilty pleasures of my life, the things that I really like to do, I would hide. And as soon as someone would know, maybe take the mickey because it wasn't the same thing that everybody else wanted to do, I backed off. But that constant need to be who everybody else wanted, I think was the hardest thing. I asked her, what about teachers? And she said, I remember one teacher in year five. We used to have this thing called circle time. And I started laughing because I love circle time as a teacher. I love circle time. Z carried on. As one of the teachers in circle time, she used to say, so who are you? What do you like to do? And the bear used to come around. So she used to pass this bear around. And I used to have to try and think of an answer. So I used to wait and listen to everybody else's answers and then try and mimic their answers. Oh, I really like Barbies and this and this. And in fact, I hated Barbies. I liked to pull their hair out. But that's what I had to do because who I was inside was not like everybody else. I said to her that that's really sad that you felt that you had to be kind of everybody else. She said, yeah, but I didn't have a choice. And I said to her, that must have really impacted other parts of your life. She said, yeah, the anxiety and fear at evening, in the evening after school was excruciating. It was pain. It was like no one could ever see the real me. So you had to keep putting on makeup. You had to keep putting your hair up. You had to keep growing your hair. And to top it off in school, I had a lot of health problems, which also always made me feel very strange and outcasted. I took a lot of time off school for different, different um, things. And it was just all too much. And at age 15, I was diagnosed with depression. And there was a pause and I could see Izzy's expression just turn. She was so lost. Her eyes just, the spark that, she, that I know she has just left. I asked her if it's too hard, we don't need to carry on. She said, no, I need to do this. I need to do this, she said. She said she had to leave school to go for therapy which meant that she was missing time out, which meant she had to explain it to everybody, so on, so on, so on. And then she was shaken. I said to Z, why are you shaking? She said, because now it's the bit where I have to talk to you about what happened. And I said to her, what do you mean? And she says, when I was 16, I have to now speak to you about this bit. And I said to her, if you don't feel comfortable, it's okay. And she said, I need to do this, but it doesn't stop the pain. So I said to her, why don't you tell me piece by piece? So then I went quiet and let her in her own time tell me her story. One night, 
she said. On the way home, I brought some pills. And I just said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Why on earth would I? The fear, anxiety, was toxicating my mind, my body. The fear of every day, every Sunday, that tomorrow you would have to face another day, put another mask on. So I just decided to do it. I came home, I had my pills, had my water, had my plan. And I was sat in my room at night. I said goodnight to all my family, as I always did. And I said to my mom, I love you. And she said, oh, I love you too. And she looked at me and I said, and I thought in my head, this is the last time I'm gonna see her, but she'll be okay. They won't notice, just like everybody at school. No one will notice. And I wasn't sad, I wasn't scared. I was relieved, relieved that this pain, this shaking, this anxiety would be over. So I sat in my room and I just took pill after pill after pill. And I looked into the sky and I knew it would be over soon. Z fell into tears. I could see the real emotion and the hardship of what she went through when she was 16. But she, <laughs> like a fighter, she carried on her story. I woke up, I don't know how long later, and my brother found me and he was holding me. And I just remember waking up feeling really drowsy and he was washing my face. And he held me. And I thought, I thought that I was dead. I was frozen. And he was screaming at me, wake up, wake up, what have you done? Basically, he'd found me. He was working late and he saw my light on. He came into my room and I'd passed out and he saw the pills. Then there was another long pause and Z looked up and I could see that she was thinking about her brother. I felt bad because I brought trauma onto his life and he didn't need that. But I honestly didn't know where else to go. I asked her what happened next, after that night. She says, after this, I made a vow to make sure that nothing would ever bring me back to this point. Something brought me back, whatever it was, metaphorically brought me back. And now I owe it to the universe or whoever's up there. She's not very spiritual. I'm not a very spiritual person. And I owe it now to them to fight and to do everything for everybody else. I have a lot of making up to do, she said. With this, I always had to do everything for everybody. 
I had to save people, like the world saved me. It was like, it was my purpose. And it didn't matter how much I had to deal with, I had to help everybody else because something brought me back. And the next day I got up, went to school, carried on like normal. To this day, my brother is the only one that knows in my family. I asked her, Z, why didn't you tell everybody else? I, I couldn't. I felt ashamed. The shame that I did that. The shame that I gave up. The shame that they would have felt bad for me. They would have felt bad on themselves. And I couldn't do that to them. Do you think that, I asked her, do you think that people would have, in that frame of mind, you said that you thought no one would miss you. Do you really think that that would still happen today? No. But that's how I felt. And that's valid. That's valid that I felt like no one would miss me. Because invisible is how I felt. But it's not the reality. It's just what I felt at the time. It's what I told myself. That's how I got through. She sighed and she said, to this day, five people still only know this story. Well, now more people, but they don't know it's me. And that's enough. So I asked her, what happened after this? She said she found a purpose in a career. And that's how what she always did. You know, she... She said, she started sighing and she said that she never told anyone because she thought that she'd never really had trauma. Like, what is trauma? She had a cushioned life. And what she did was unacceptable. I asked her, how does she feel about that now? She says, I think trauma manifests in different ways for different people. And depending on who you are and your experience, it's your trauma. Whatever's traumatized you as a person is valid because you are valid and your experience is valid. So I asked her if she feels that that was a trauma now. Looking back, do you think that that, that part of your life was a traumatic experience? And she said, yes. The most traumatic experience of my entire life that I've held in for so long, I'm wanting to get out. So as I end this diary for the break, I just want to say that if you've had experiences like this in your life, just like Z, then I'm really sorry that it took, got to that point. But remember that you are not alone in this world and no one is ever invisible. Join me after the break where we'll just go more into what happened after this. If you would like any information on Indigo's support group, check out the website below for our link to our Facebook page or email at indigo.adhd2020 at gmail.com. If you would like to offer any comments or feedback or 
If you are interested in the world hearing your story, then please reach out, either through the group or through our email. As said before, have a good week. Check in again later, Indigos. Welcome back, everyone. If you weren't here before the break, I will just say again that this diary episode does touch on quite a few really detailed topics of trauma, self-harm, suicide. And if you don't feel comfortable, then please switch off. If you would like to carry on, which I hope you do, then let's go. I asked you what happened after, what did she meant by she found a career? She said she wanted to be a social worker for old people. She wanted to save people. And she thought old people needed saving. For some reason, that's what she thought. But then she realized that children, just like her, of 16 years old, she wanted to save the 16 year old self, be that person that she could she never had. She said, I would have loved that person that was just like my brother that saved me and helped me get better, helped me see things for the way they were, even though I didn't until now, but we'll talk about that later. At university, she was diagnosed with specific learning disorder in reading and writing and dyscalculia. I asked her how, how that made her feel. She said, it didn't really make a difference. I was happy to know that I didn't struggle with academics that much, but I still struggled in every other part of my life. And it didn't make, it didn't validate everything else. So I kind of just carried on. I got through uni and then I carried on. Another part of my life that it impacted was relationships. I asked her what, what she meant by that. She said, had relationships, but then again, had to save people. I had relationships with men that I thought needed saving, like I did, just like my brother saved me. I didn't go for people that made me happy or people that I felt like des deserved me or people that really clicked with me. I felt with people that I could help. And in a way that's really sad when I look back on it. And then when I got a bit older, I found a man under very strange circumstances. She started laughing. So did I, cause I know this story. And one night I was at home and we'd only been going out a few months and I was still living with my parents at the time. And I was on one of my rages. My anger is still a big part of my life. And my brother told him to leave. And he said, my brother just said, go. It's fine, I'll deal with this. You go, you don't need to see this. And this guy said, nah, I'm all in. I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. And he just stayed and sat with me and held me. And that was the day she started laughing here, we both did. Cliche as it sounds, I found him. I found a guy that saw me 
I didn't need to save. I didn't need to help. Even though for a few years after, I still felt like I didn't deserve him. And I still needed to save every part of his life that wasn't good because that's what I was accustomed to. Emotions were the worst part as I got older. And I felt like, yes, there was part of, you can't, you know, it was a part of my executive function. And obviously I know that that's, that's what it is now, but also past trauma that I just blocked away. And, you know, obviously, so I, I, I said to her, obviously emotional regulation is not in the DSM-5. Even though when I speak to anybody that has ADHD, it's one of the biggest things, RSD, emotional dysregulation, however you, you know, you use that in your life, anger, anything that you use, that seems to be the, one of the biggest effects of ADHD. And she said, yeah, I agree. But it's also past trauma from not being accepted, from blocking away everybody else, from living in a world that's not meant for you. And I just smiled and I said, yeah, you're totally right. It's a bit of both, isn't it? And she agreed. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's one of the emotional regulations. It's also trauma. So I asked her what happened next. After you've got your guy, what happened? She said, well, after, after a few years of that, it was probably the few years I felt the freest. Well, until now. But then we move around a lot. And I moved into a different country. And my depression started to ease its way back into my life. Because yet again, I had to hide myself. As soon as I put my mask on, that's when the trauma comes back and all those past feelings that I never dealt with back then start to come back. And then eight months ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so I said to her, so you've been diagnosed eight months? She said, yeah. I asked her what, why she went and got a diagnosis. She said, in my career, I see teenagers like this every day. But you never really know as a teacher. You never really know kind of what they have or you never know, you're never trained to know more details than you need to, to get the right grades for children in secondary schools. And I, I just never knew about anybody about it until I met a child who was very similar to me when I was a child. And she changed my life. And I went and got a diagnosis. As soon as I heard those words, ADHD, and I knew what they were, I knew that that was me. We both laughed. And you probably couldn't know why we laughed. Because that's exactly how everybody is. As soon as you know and you hear it, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's me. Like the power that it gives you. And I asked her what happened next. After the diagnosis, it was just a release of everything. Then I really started to piece together my entire life and see things for how they are 
not what we make up or portray because of our masks. I'm not going to lie, it became a lot very overwhelming learning about ADHD and then piecing together my whole life. But I, I was older. I am older. And there was no time. I learned all I could. And I told some people what had happened. It made me a lot more open. I went to groups. I watched webinars. I spoke to people online. I had my therapist, I have a coach. And I said to her, wow, that's amazing that you're giving yourself every opportunity. And she says, but why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? I've spent so long being locked inside myself to the point where I tried to kill myself. And why wouldn't I try and give myself the best opportunity now? I know. She said, last weekend, I broke down to my partner and I, I said to him, I forgive myself. He just sat there and stared. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. I don't want to help people to owe the world anymore. I don't owe it anything. I'm tired. <laughs> she laughed. She says, I'm tired of masking and wearing it all the time. And the after effects of doing that and the biggest thing of putting everybody else first, like why? She said, someone said to me recently, putting yourself first is selfish. And I looked at them and I just laughed and I said, thank you. And they were shocked and they said, what do you mean thank you? And I said, thank you, because you've made me realize that that's a load of crap. Pardon my French. How can it be selfish to put yourself first? There's only one you, you are you. You have to put yourself first. Obviously, if you put yourself first all the time over other people, but you've only got one body, one mind, one brain, one opportunity. You are the most important person in your life. Yeah, being with everybody else and doing things with other people is amazing, but at what cost? The cost of your life? the cost of yourself. I just said to her, wow, you're totally right. She said, I want to make a difference in the world because that's what I want, but not because I feel like I have to or should, because I want to. It's who I am, it's my core value. And I said to her, what a difference that makes. It's not your duty, it's who you are. So I said to her, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? She said, it took my diagnosis of ADHD to forgive myself. And for that, I'll eternally be grateful. I will live my life I want to now, not what I think it should be, from a past decision that I made in a really difficult part of my life. How was I to know any different? like the people that said to me, I'm too much or too this. How were they to know any different? How was I to know that I wasn't invisible to many people? I wasn't. But when you're in that frame of mind, I don't blame myself. I don't blame anyone. I was put on this earth to be something else. 
It might have not been the best start. I was living a life of someone else, but kind of in my brain. And when you're kind of living something that you're not, then there's gonna be that fight back. There's gonna be the after effects. It's like war. And the war's over now. I have no regrets. I have no, I have nothing. It's a part of what made me kind of where I am today. And I wouldn't change that for the world. I'm just eternally grateful that I, I didn't go too far and that I'm here. And we both just cried. We both just cried. So I asked her, is there an encouragement she would like to read? And she said, yeah, one of my favorite quotes. Maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you. So you can be who you were meant to be in the first place before the world got its hands on you. And all I can say is, wow. Z showed, showed so much strength and power. And I think of my favorite part of it is that being diagnosed with ADHD gave her permission to be exactly who she could have always been. We hear a lot about being this new person, but that quote says it all. We were born who we are. Let's go back to that. I was really touched by this interview with her. And I hope that this story resonates with you in some ways. And if it does, I hope it brings you some sort of peace that there are other people in this world. Yes, these sort of things are not a cause of ADHD, but they are the aftermath of having ADHD, the after effects, the conditions, the coping mechanisms, anything that you call it. And it should be talked about. And I'm so happy that she felt strong enough to come to me, maybe not online, but to come to me and speak her truth. Because that's what this is. Speaking your truth, even just to one person, means that it's not locked up inside you anymore. So yet again, we leave Indigos with another story, very different to the previous, but also very similar in some aspects. I just want to say that please reach out if you want to share your story. We are always here to listen. I am always here. So signing out Indigos, see you soon. Be strong and know you are not alone. And we're out. Dear Diary. Dear Diary. Dear Diary. Today is ending. I'll check in again tomorrow. Tomorrow is a brand new beginning. Good night, sweet dreams. I think tomorrow will be... Shh.